Amen. If you have your notes, will you turn with me in your Bible to the book of Luke? We're going to be looking at Luke 15 today. Today we are in the middle of our missions conventions, our mission series. Here I have some wonderful messages planned for you this month. Last week we talked about the importance of missions and why it's so important to give to missions. The reason why it's important to give to missions is because Jesus was a missionary. Today we're going to be talking about the heart of missions. Everybody say the heart of missions. Thank you, the heart of missions. And I want you to listen to me because after I preach this and I put it up on Facebook, one of my dear friends from Bible college, Dylan Schultz, who loves lost people, he wrote me, he's a pastor, and he said, when you're talking about missions, are you talking just about foreign missions or missions here in the States? And I said, brother, we're talking about both. Because if you remember last week at the end of the message, we talked about what we're doing on the west side and the Saturday outreach needs more laborers because the children are increasing so much. What we're talking about is you having a heart for your schools, you having a heart for your jobs, for your community, your next door neighbors, because if you have a heart for missions, missions is everywhere. The mission field is everywhere you go in life. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm on a mission trip. Come on, you got to believe that. You're on a mission trip. Everywhere you go, you can spread the love of God. And today we're going to talk about the heart of missions. The heart of missions. The, when we say the sentence, the heart of the matter, or let's get to the heart of it, what are we talking about? The foundation, the thing that, that, that encompasses why we do it. When I say I love my wife with all of my heart, what I'm saying is all of these things, my commitment, my dedication, my checkbook, all of those things, they belong to my wife. Can all the wives say amen? You see, you want a husband to love you with all your heart. And all the husbands say, help me, Jesus. Because you can't do it without God to give all of your heart to somebody. So you've got to lean on God's agape love. So when we're talking about heart today, we're talking about the most important things that encompass why we do what we do. So last week, if you're going, man, yeah, it's important to be a missionary because Jesus was a missionary, you might be asking yourself now, well, how do I do that? How do I have the heart of Jesus? Jesus cared about the woman at the well. Jesus cared for lepers. Jesus cared for the people that... Our society would be like prostitutes with AIDS, drug addicts. Jesus even loved the rich people, which in our day would be like crooked politicians or or shifty people that you meet on your job that are kind of, you know, cutting corners. Jesus loved those types of people. Well, you might be saying, well, how do I be like Jesus? How do I live like Jesus? How do I care like Jesus? Today's message is about the heart of missions. Are you ready? Luke chapter 15 is going to teach you this. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners. Everybody say sinners. Say it like you have a pharisaical attitude. Say sinners. Okay, all the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Do you see the problem they had with Jesus? He hung around sinners. Jesus' heart wasn't, let me go live on top of the Himalayan mountains, become a monk and meditate up there. Jesus' goal wasn't to become Father Bob and live off in the parsonage. No, Jesus was out there at the Mardi Gras. We go to Mardi Gras. This will be my 12th time at Mardi Gras. Jesus was where sinners were. We have a Saturday evangelism team that goes out to Wicker Park on North and Damon. Jesus is where sinners are. We have young people that witness in front of the high schools, to the gangbangers, to all the kids out there. Why? Because Jesus was where sinners are. Look at your neighbor and say, that's why I'm here, neighbor. Sitting next to you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But you were a sinner once, weren't you? What weren't you? You weren't always this cute, were you? Come on, if only we could have flashback videos of some of you guys. And this was one back in the club in 1998. He's all sweaty. There it is. Come on, somebody. What if we put throwback videos of everybody up here today? You see, we don't want that, but you know what? Somebody had to reach out to you. Somebody had to love you just as a sinner. See, Jesus loved us as sinners. You can never forget that. That's why we shouldn't be upset if we have cross-dressing, transvestite, homosexual, crack-smoking people coming to church because we would rather them be here than out there. 
So it doesn't matter who you're sitting next to right now. It doesn't matter what they're going through. It doesn't matter what they've done. Today is a chance for a new start. And we love everybody. Amen? The world is the world, and Jesus loved it, and so do we. So here he is. He got in trouble for this. He's hanging out with tax collectors, shady business people, which would be like our mob, like the mafia. He's hanging out with sinners and the Pharisees, these religious people of the day. They say, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Now, Jesus tells a parable right here. Verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, let's put this in our terminology. How many of you here, if you had 10 pairs of shoes, 10 Nikes, if you guys, you like Nikes, and you lost one pair, you would go looking for him? Ladies, how about if you had 10 coach purses and you lost one of your coach purses, would you go looking for him? Amen. So we all have something. Young people, if you had 10 video games and you lost your Madden or your Call of Duty Black Ops, would you go looking for it? See, I know how to talk your language, baby. Come on. All the business people, if you had 10 stocks and you lost one stock, would you go looking for it? Yes, you would. Everybody has something important to them. These were agricultural people. They were farmers. So a sheep meant a lot to them. When I go out to India and I ask the people, how much of these animals mean to you? Sometimes one animal can mean one month of wages. So there was a lot of money in this flock of, of sheep here. And God is ta- uh, Jesus is talking about something they care about. And they say, would you care about that one? And then they say, yes, verse 5. And when he finds that lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and go homes, goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I found my lost coach purse. Rejoice with me. I found my lost stock. Rejoice with me. You get it? I found my lost sheep. He calls his friends and says, hey, I found it. Now look at verse 7. Here's the point. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So say today, there's those of us who already love God. I don't need to repent today and be saved because I'm already saved. But do you know what? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you repent of your sins, you'll make Papa Father, Daddy Father more excited than all my preaching today. So if you're here, don't ever think to yourself that you're going to be embarrassed accepting Christ. You're what the party's all about. We get more excited watching one person get saved than all of us just coming together talking about how much uh, we just like coming to church. We're here to help you get saved. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're here to start the party. Amen? So at the altar call, you just need to come on down, and we're going to start rejoicing like the angels in heaven. And all the Christians said amen. And what this teaches us here is that Jesus had a heart for the lost. So when the Pharisees were picking on him going, dude, you hang around sinners. You hang around tax collectors. He said, you know what? They're important to me just like sheep are important to a farmer. These people are important to me. And as a matter of fact, they're more important than even you and your stuck-up attitude because when they get saved, there's a party in heaven. Amen. We need to get rid of stinking thinking. It's not just all about us. I'm glad you're here, but you're here to get sent out to change the world. So we should always be wanting to invite our friends and family. And that's why we just can't get stuck where we are. Because he said, yeah, 99 righteous persons don't need to repent. They're cool. It's not like he wants them to backslide and go to hell. But those 99 need to go out and get one. So look at it like this. One shepherd goes and gets one sheep. But imagine if 99 sheep all went and got one sheep. How many would that be? That would be 99. Then if those 99 went and got those sheep, how many would that be? A very big number. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a lot of people. We need to go out and reach people for Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say the heart of the matter is to love people. Now, I want you to write this down on your notes. What do you think is in the heart of missions? Today, we're going to look at one of the greatest missionaries in the Bible, Paul the Apostle. He's going to give us seven words that he describes missions, the heart of the matter. He's going to describe it in seven different ways. But before we look to Paul, right now, you take some some shots at it. What would you say is important? Probably one that you would all put down is what? Love? If you're going to do missions, you've got to love people. What else would you put there? Let me get an SUM student. Uh, Adam, what did you write down? Shout it out. There you go. Caught you off guard, baby. Caught you off guard. You never know when the pastor's going to call the student. Jonathan, do you got one? No. All we have is love. My man in the back. Come on, Pete. Shout it out. 
pray. Everybody give it up for Pete right there showing some SUM students. SUM students didn't write anything down. Pete did. That's why we call him Pistol Pete around here. Write them down. Come on. Some of y'all looking at me like, what's he asking me to do? Write down what you think. Yes, I actually want you to interact. Those things that pass by you, I actually want you to have one in your hand. Yes. Those things that we lay on our coffee table and we call them Bibles, we actually want you to bring them. Bring them to church. But, Pastor, it's on the screen. I know that, but it's a lot more funner when you hold yours in your hand. Okay, who else has one besides prayer? Cynthia. Serve. Let's give it up for Cynthia. Amen. Jonathan's going to redeem himself. Compassion. Give it up for my man, Compassion. I think there's about seven things we can think of of what it takes to do this because I want everyone to look up at me, please, now, if you can. This will not come easy to any of us. So right now, for you to apply this to your life, it's going to be more than just a message. It's going to have to be an application, and you're going to have to learn to do it. You and me, it comes easy to self-preserve, to take care of ourselves. It's easy for us to get up and serve ourselves, wash our hair, do the different things, but it's hard for us to serve others. If you've ever served other people, you see how hard it is. All the parents understand this very well. I never knew how hard it was to love somebody until I had children. And there's sometimes in the middle of the night, I just want to go and shake her because she is crying so much. And we just want to go, what are you crying about? But I'm a good dad. I'll never do the shaking, okay? Don't worry about it. just not what I was confessing earlier, you know. But sometimes I'm just like, how can you be so cute but make me so mad? And he's like, daddy, you know. And we, we can't go in there because when you open the door, it's like a trap, you know. It's just like you want to pick her up and then she'll lay on. You guys know what I'm talking about. So we don't go in there. And it's like she is crying like as if the world is ending. It's like her cries are like, dear God, it's going to end right now. And if my mom and dad don't come, I'm going to die. And we realize how hard it is to help people. Some of you have these romantic ideas of going to the soup kitchen and helping people. You haven't done enough inner city ministry then. I've watched moms get mad at me because I I gave one mom Fruit Loops and the other one, uh, you know, like Captain Crunch. And the two moms start fighting. Well, I want a Captain Crunch, baby. I'm going to come beat you. I've watched fights break out over who got what cereal. It's not easy serving people. I remember Brother Anthony saying he had a great idea when he first started inner city ministries. He said, we're just going to go to the projects. Me, my wife, and another professor from New Orleans, they were in Bible, uh, teaching at the Bible college. They said, we're just going to give away Christmas gifts. He said they bum-rushed him. They tore apart the van. He had to go inside the van. The racks on the van, they were tearing apart. The windshield wipers, and they were just throwing the gifts and, like, psh, hitting them on the head with the gifts. Serving comes hard. To hang around sinners and tax collectors, you got to have a good heart. Now, some of you might be like, hey, man, that's not hard at all for me. You know why? Because you might be like them a lot. So if you're still like them and you talk like them and you sin like them, well, hanging around sinners is real easy for you. But I'm talking about when you stop wanting to sin, you stop wanting to curse, be perverted, it becomes difficult to want to hang around sinners. Sometimes they'll cuss you out. Sometimes the people you love the most, you pray for the most, they'll, they'll, they'll be the hardest on you. Some of the people I've been waiting for salvation to come to them have been the people I've been praying for 15 years since I got saved. But you can't get discouraged. You've got to keep winning the next person, the next person. Every time I look at my family and the ones who haven't accepted Christ, I say I'm going to get 10 more in their place until they do because I'm going to whoop the devil for taking this one from me in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. Turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. I want to read to you that from the greatest missionary, I believe, of the Bible, Paul, after Jesus, the Apostle Paul, did more for Christianity than anybody else. A lot of people think it was Peter. It was actually Paul. Paul wrote three-fourths of your New Testament. Books like Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians were named after cities that Paul missionaried to. So imagine Paul writing you a book called Chicagoans. Philippi was a city, Philippians. Colossae was a city, Colossians. Ephesus was a city, Ephesians. Now do you understand? Rome was a city, Romans. He wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, and it was to his disciples that he had went out and evangelized. He was a man from Jerusalem, but he went around the world at that time to teach about Jesus. Here's what he says the heart of missions is, and I've bolded the main one so we can talk about them today. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. Everybody say, fear the Lord. I don't think anybody put that on their list, but you're going to hear why. So we know what it is to fear the Lord. 
We try to persuade others. Ooh, think about that. If you really knew what God was going to do one day, wouldn't you want to tell people to get ready? That's what Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. You see right here, Paul was competing with false teachers, and these teachers were in the city of Corinth. This is the city of Corinth, Corinthians, and they were trying to tell them, don't listen to Paul. Paul's out of his mind. Paul's crazy. But Paul says, hey, I don't got to brag and boast, but I know who I am. Don't listen to those people. That's what he's saying. Now look at verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for Christ's love. Everybody say Christ's love. See, I got to pause right here. All you people who are saying love and compassion, that's great, but I got a question for you. You think you got enough to give? I'll tell you real quick, you'll get fed up with people real quick now. Listen, you just, just work right now at a clothing department store during the Christmas holidays. You'll just want to throw them all to the pits of hell. Amen? Go to the pits of hell. I'm kicking you in there. I have people who work in the service industry, restaurant owners and, and, and people who wait on tables. They say Sundays are the worst days. The Christians have the worst attitudes, let alone some people from the world. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take more than just your compassion. Because some of you are like, man, I don't, really, I don't really have a heart for the missions. That's because you have the heart of a sinner still. And, and some people are like, man, I tried to help out. And, and after I did, I got a little discouraged. That's because your love could only go so far. The only way we can love and do mission work the way Jesus did is if we have Christ's love in us. That's why I love you the way I do, amen, because of Christ's love. As a matter of fact, when I do counseling, and sometimes as a shepherd, I want to take out the shepherd's rod. What? Don't ever do that again. You look at me crazy. That's okay, Pastor. Confession time. I look at the back of my wall, and I see all your beautiful faces in the collage, and it said, Jesus said to Peter, take care of my sheep. So before somebody tells me we fornicated, we messed up, and I want to grab out that, that, that shepherd's rod and go, whoop, pow! I look up and I say, man, Christ, help me love them. You see, sometimes you'll get angry with people. You'll say, why do people in the church do that? Why do my neighbor do that? Why does my boss do that? I get so angry with them. And then we tell people out of our anger, remember you used to say these words, go to hell. My friends, if you knew what hell was, you wouldn't wish your worst enemy there. You wouldn't even want Hitler to go to hell. That is how the Bible describes it. It's a place of gnashing of teeth, worms coming in and out of the flesh. It's a bottomless pit, but in a lake of fire, in pitch blackness by yourself for eternity. Could you imagine that? The Bible says it's so bad they gnash their teeth for eternity. You need Christ's love. Somebody say Christ's love. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Say that no longer lives for themselves. One, two, three. No longer live for themselves. Thank you. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So when you accept Christ, you're not living for yourself anymore because sometimes you're like, well, it's inconvenient to go evangelizing. It's inconvenient to come an hour early to my small group and go share the word. It's inconvenient to help out in the youth ministry. It's inconvenient to join one of the ministries at Metro Praise. I just want to come to church on Sunday. Okay, it's inconvenient. You know what? It's not your life anymore. It's God's life. You don't belong to yourself. You are God's. When we call him Lord, you look at back in old English days, landlord, lord of a night or a round table. When we call him Lord, you know what we're calling him? Master. We're saying, you're the boss. You're going to tell us what to do. Amen? Then keep going. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, this is a popular scripture, but a lot of people don't know it's in a missionary verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation have come, the old has gone, the new is here. Somebody say amen. You know what you need to go out preaching the gospel? You need a testimony that God changed you. You need to see that it works first. Well, how would you like it if I was going door-to-door selling you like a vacuum cleaner and you said, do you own the vacuum cleaner? He said, no, I never tried it in my house. You know, come on, what if I was selling cars and you're like, you know, do you buy these Toyotas? No, I buy Fords. You wouldn't buy from me. Somebody comes to your job and goes, man, do you like this company? No, I don't like this company. I actually do my business over here. 
I've actually had people do that. You know, like at Best Buy, they'll go, actually, I get it at Target. And I'm saying, if I was your boss, I would fire you in 30 seconds. Yes, I would, because the Bible says you've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and this is very important because I'll tell you what, most of what I'm saying to you right now already is in some of your hearts, and you're just getting all the pieces together. You know why? Because God has done so much in you, you've got to share it. But I'm trying to encourage those of you who are still on the line, you need to get right with God because when you do, you will care about others. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Okay, that was Christ Jesus' part. He reconciled us to God through Christ. Now, what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed, everybody say committed committed to us the message of reconciliation. What do you need to be a missionary? The heart of missions, commitment. You need to see that God committed this to you. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't no angel, baby. You may think you an angel, but you ain't no angel. You know what? God did not pick the angel Gabriel today. Ladies and gentlemen, here comes your pastor all the way from the pearly gates of heaven. Here he is, Gabriel. My children, I bring you a word from heaven. Listen to what I say. Oh, Angel Gabriel, I love you. I'm not finished yet. He does not send angels. He, He did not say to Gabriel, Gabriel, here's the message, dude. You go and preach it. He committed it to us. Come on, somebody say us. Point to yourself and say us. He committed the message to us. Now look at the comparison. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We know this language because it's still around today. But back in that day, ambassadors went from one nation to the other and brokered deals and treaties. We see this in the United Nations. If you mess with an ambassador from the United States, you have just started a war with us. Do you understand? That's how we stand behind our ambassadors. Because sometimes you'll be like looking at Afghanistan and be like an ambassador, like walking down the street. Or like with North Korea, one of our generals is an ambassador at that time, uh, walking in that island between North and South Korea. And sometimes I think to myself, dude, they could just shoot that guy. You know what they're thinking to themselves? Dude, if we shoot that guy, all of America's coming after us. We touch that general. We touch that ambassador. It's over. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. We'll bomb the place when they leave. Are you listening to me? We are Christ's ambassadors. We are aliens from another place, y'all. Our home is in heaven, and we are down here representing the king up there. And we're telling everybody, get ready for his kingdom, because he's coming down. And he's not coming as a baby this time. He's coming as a conquering king on a white horse with a sword. Amen? And you better get right, or you're going to get left. You can have all these discussions right now. You can ask all your questions right now. But when he comes, every knee is bowing. Every tongue is confessing. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I suggest you do it now if you haven't already. So we implore you, says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see me now as the preacher making the appeal as if God was speaking through me, to you. This says here, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you hear yourself being implored right now? That is what you are to do wherever you go. You may not have a microphone. You may not have the ability to preach, but you can implore people. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. Have you accepted him? Have you been born again? Do you want to come to our small group? Can we minister to you? Can I pray for your family? You need to find a way to implore people to come to Jesus. It's been committed to you. Imagine a relay race and people are running and it's your turn and they give you the baton and you just drop it and say, I'm not moving. That's how it looks to the Lord when you say, No, I'm not doing it because God has put each and every one of our lives in a place that we need to receive that message of commitment and then be an ambassador because people around us are depending on it in Jesus name. 
You see, right now I'm handing you the baton because I can't go to your job tomorrow. I can't go to where your family lives. I won't be at the Christmas dinner table with your family. So I'm passing you the baton. I'm giving you the message as Paul gave it to us. This is a great missionary message. And now it's your turn to go and to implore people. He said, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everybody say, the righteousness of God. It's all because of God's righteousness. How can you do what's right? Because Christ is in you. Christ has already taken our sins. If you're still sinning, you've got to go back to the cross and get forgiven. If you and I mess up, we go back to the cross and get forgiven. But you know what we have now instead of sin? We have the righteousness of God. So I want to ask you a question. When Jesus was on that cross, did he take your sins? Did he become sin for us? It says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Did Jesus do that? Then the very same way that Jesus became sin, we become righteousness. Come on, let that settle in your spirit right now. Well, I don't feel righteous, Pastor. It don't matter how you feel. It's what God's already done for you. You've become righteous. Hallelujah. Let me get it back here. It says right here, he became a sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, you may not look it. You may not always feel it. But you are the righteousness of God. But let me get this thing working here, please. I want you to understand that as real as Jesus became sin, you became righteousness. Now let's go through these right here. Here they are quickly. Write them down. The seven descriptions of the heart of missions. To fear the Lord, Christ's love, sacrifice, personal change, commitment, boldness, and the righteousness of God. I'm going to go through them now quickly so that you can get in your spirit. We're going to close out in prayer today and lay hands on everybody who wants the heart of missions. Can you say amen? What does it mean to fear the Lord? To respect and anticipate God's judgments. I, res- I fear the Lord. You know why I fear him? Because I know what his judgments are going to be. What did Paul say? Because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. How many here know what a fire can do to somebody? How many know if you've seen a fire burning, you would get somebody out? How many know it will hurt that person? That means then if you see a house on fire, what do you do? You get somebody out because you know what it is to fear fire. You know what it is. How many fear a moving truck going down the highway at 50 miles an hour? How many fear that? How many know what it is when you see on TV people getting hit by those trucks? How many if you saw your friend going out into the highway, out of the fear of the truck, you would move your friend out the way? You see the heart of missions and saying, I know what God's going to do. And you might say, well, Pastor, I don't know if he's right in doing it. That's kind of harsh to send people to hell for eternity. Then you need to go back and read your Bible. It wasn't the plan. We messed up the plan, and he sent Jesus so we wouldn't have to go there anymore. So now today, if people do not accept him, they are rejecting that king, that one who created them. There is no hope for them. Get that in your heart today. Without Christ Jesus, there is no hope. You need to know that, and now you need to persuade people. Does not the Bible say persuade? Well, well, what do you mean, atheist? You say you don't believe in this. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe nothing created something? You see, you need to persuade them. You talk to a person of another religion. Oh, okay, I understand that you believe Muhammad and Jesus are both prophets. But let me ask you a question. Did Muhammad die on the cross for your sins? Or you're talking to one of your friends, and they say, you know what? I just go to church. I'm a good person. Well, let me see if I can persuade you here. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever, have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Have you ever lusted? Really, you're not a good person. The Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. They're ten rules. You already broke three out of the ten. You're not getting in, Bubba. You see, the Bible says we try to persuade others. You might say, Pastor, I don't know a whole lot. That's why you need to join the small group and then the 101 and the 201 so that you're ever learning and growing in knowledge. I spent a whole chapter in the 12 Steps to Christian Leadership, our 201 book, on helping to preach to people that say, I don't believe in God. If you go to our website, I have links that are the best scholarship of today, answering the major objections, answering objections from the gay and lesbian community, answering objections from the Roman Catholic, Mormon, Jehovah Witnesses community that don't believe in being born again the objections from atheists on evolution versus creation i have them there why so that you can learn them and that when you preach to them they know that you care about them you've took time to understand their objections and you're trying to persuade them now can you talk them into it no because if you can talk them into it somebody will talk them out of it but your job is to give them the best presentation of the gospel why you fear for their soul 
You fear for their soul. That's the first thing. The second thing is Christ's love. What does love mean? Strong desire. That's how the, the definition of love is. We know it's so much deeper than that. But what is Christ's love specifically? Strong desire for mankind's salvation and well-being. It's a strong desire. You know that I never cried for anybody until I got saved. And then when I got saved and I went to that nursing home and then God touched my heart, literally it was like God turned on the spigot, the faucet of my tears. I cried everywhere I went. People thought that I, I was always like that. Like, like you cry. All, I ne- Listen to me. To the time I was 18 years old, I never cried. Don't cry. You're a man. You don't cry. You don't cry in church. You don't cry with your friends. I had people commit suicide. I I had friends that jumped off cliffs on LSD drugs. Never cried. Not one time for them. Never cried. I did time in jail, 40 days. I watched people lose their mind. I was locked in a cell by myself, 22 out of 24 hours. Never cried. But when I got saved and God put that call on my life, every time I would hear a story about one of my friends, I would start to cry. I would go into my prayer closet, and I would start just thanking God, Lord, thank you for today. I'm, I'm so happy to be saved. And then all of a sudden, he would put on my heart that the friends I would party with or, or different people, and I would start weeping. To this day, at this prayer meeting at 915, the, the church members can testify, I was weeping for people. Why? Because God has touched my heart. God's touched my heart. You see, if you're the type of person that says, man, I don't care really like that, or I don't have that deep feeling, or I wish I did, you need to ask Christ for his love. Because that's what Paul said, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but him who died and was raised again. How can you and I have this gift and not want to share it with other people with so much passion? How can it not break our hearts to watch people reject it? I remember listening to the, the preachers of, of, of back in the 1800s, and they would give examples like this. They would say, if you cannot pray and intercede for the lost, as if that person was your own daughter, child, mother, or father, you still don't have the heart of Christ. So that means in a few moments, when we start lifting up Shures High School and Lane Tech, if that doesn't touch your heart, that there's young people there that are in violence, or when we start lifting up your co-workers and some of them going through divorce and, and alcoholism, if that doesn't touch your heart, you need to get the love of Christ. Does that come easy? No, it doesn't. Because I'll tell you what, I know what it's like, and here's for all the mature Christians in here, I know what it's like to walk right by that and pretend I got it. Okay, Jesus, I pray for Africa. But now let me go on to something else. When we were here in our prayer meeting today, I said, go get the flags. And I told them the story. Let me tell you why we wave flags. It's not because we saw another church do it and we wanted to be cute. There was one time we were only supporting one missionary, a friend from Bible college. She was in Mozambique working with the orphans. And we had the cafe in the building. Some of you remember it. And it was right here uh, to my right, your left. And above that cafe was the Mozambique flag. And Ishmael, who was playing the guitar today, he was leading the prayer meeting. And his heart began to break. He began to weep for those people. It was as if he was on the red dirt of Africa smelling the, the jungle air. And he was looking at the Africans and he began to weep for them. And he said, somebody, grab down that flag. We have to pray for Africa. And that day, my friends, we were weeping for that nation. Then we began to say, get the flags of other nations. And we remember one day a brother from Honduras came and he saw that we had his flag and he wrapped himself in his flag and he fell down at our altar weeping for his nation. And I said, for the first time after two years, I feel in my heart that we've lost why we even wave these flags. We hold these flags up and we don't even place our hearts there anymore. Those flags were meant to be a place of connection to help us when we're praying. Man, I'm praying for Brazil. I'm praying for Europe. I'm praying for Asia. I want my heart to transcend distance and time. And I want to be where they are, suffer alongside of them. And I want to have love and strong desire that they get saved. That's how I know I've prayed, saints. Number three, Paul said sacrifice, to suffer on someone else's behalf. Second Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all, that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, oh, I thought Jesus just died on the cross, Pastor. I, I thought Jesus now just suffers all the time. No, 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 no. You're to do that now. Well, I thought I'm not supposed to really have suffering. Let me tell you how it works. 
We take on the sufferings with Christ, and then we say, Christ, but you carry them. This is not talking about losing your job type suffering. This is not talking about you just had a bad day at work or your children are acting up. No, we're talking about when you can't go to bed at night because you're thinking about the lost of India. When you don't feel right because your daughter's friends are fornicating and living an ungodly life. When you just can't go to church normal anymore because your husband stays home and it bothers you to the point that you begin to sacrifice. You begin to fast and pray. You begin to read your Bible in such a way that you'll do anything to see them saved. See, it gets quiet when I preach like that. Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, he said, I will do anything for the Jewish people to be saved. He said, Jesus, even if it costs me my own salvation, I want them saved. You see, the missionary heart takes sacrifice. And once again, don't just paint the picture overseas. Paint it right now. You want to, you know, because I know how it is. It's awkward. You know, like for me, I make friends in my hobby. So wakeboarding, snowboarding, or getting my hair cut. And you know, life is normal. And then talking about God, it's awkward. You, you, you have to make a bridge. And so she's cutting your, my hair and, and ask, you know, how are you doing? What are you doing for the holidays? Well, I'm a pastor, and we're doing this at our church. And all of a sudden, it gets more quiet than it is in here right now. And it gets awkward. Oh, okay. Well, I, I go to St. Benedict's. And then, and then you just hear, I go to St. Benedict's. And then you now know it's going to get really awkward. Because you're not going to offend her, but you're going to say, what's well, St. Benedict's? Do you know who that is? What do you do there? I, I'm serious. That's what I asked them. It's called the Socratic Method after Socrates. I just asked them a question. Who is Benedict? Well, I don't know. He was a thumbthink. Uh, what do you do there? I just go there on Christmas and Easter. Have you been born again? I don't know what that is. And it gets really awkward. And I remember one time I was preaching to a woman cutting my hair. And my mom said, I thought she was going to cut off your ear. Because she was like, I'm fine. I'm not going to your church. I'm really okay. Yeah, you know what it's like talking to your coworkers. Well, hey, Bob, you want to come to church with me? What church? You see, friends, it takes sacrifice. You see, you're not there for yourself. You have the golden ticket. Like, like, like in Willy Wonka, you have the golden ticket. You're going to heaven. You're going to Willy Wonka's factory, uh, Hector. You're going. But does your friend have the ticket? Do you get the point? Does he have the ticket? You see, Christ died for us. So that we wouldn't live for ourselves, but we would live for him. What does Jesus care about? He cares about souls. Look at personal change. It says to experience transformation of thought, word, and deed. This is what we're looking for. is people who can say, therefore I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The new has come. The old has gone. God is looking for people that have tasted and seen that God is good. You might, you might say, Pastor, I don't have a lot to talk about. Has anybody here ever had God do one good thing in your life? Can you raise your hands? Amen. The rest of you, that one good thing is starting today. Amen. All the rest of you got something good to talk about. So how do you start those conversations? You go, hey, man, let me just tell you, I was going through some hard times, but I, I went to church, and it really made a difference in my life. Can, can you come to church with me? Would you like to see it, or can I share that with you? My friends, this is not Amway for Jesus. This is not a pyramid scheme. This is telling people, I've been changed. It doesn't matter from the ghetto to the pento. It doesn't matter if you're a multi-millionaire here or if you just got brought in off the bus ministry and you had a crack pipe in your hand. This is for everybody. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. It doesn't matter. I've talked to everybody in between. They need Jesus, just like you and I do, no matter who they are. So the question is, are you willing to let them change you? And if you have been changed, do you now want to tell somebody about number five, commitment? Everybody say commitment. To show loyalty to God's call, 2 Corinthians 5.19. I'll never forget the one time that I, I just first moved to Chicago, and I was with a pastor, and, and I was going to be a part of a youth service, and it snowed a little bit less than it did here. My wife will testify to you. It was a little bit of snow. And you know what the, the pastor did? Because he wasn't from Chicago either. You know what he did? He called off the service. And I was like, what are you doing? I came all the way here from New Orleans to be with you. Don't call off the service. And I remember all the youth were calling me up because I was going to speak that night. And all the youth were calling me up going, come on, Pastor, let's meet at Dunkin' Donuts and you'll preach to us there. My friends, what would you do if I wasn't committed to this church? 
This is between me and God. I haven't had a sick day on Sunday since we've started this church almost five and a half years. I'm telling you, son, I come here with commitment. My wife will tell you, anybody who gets close to me, I'm committed to how this carpet looks, to how the paint on the wall looks, to how that van is kept clean when people come on that van, to the point of our office, to everything we give to you, to the things that you get out of that cafe, to every penny from that mission cafe going to our missionaries. It's taken with commitment. Now, what are you going to do with it? you got a Bible in your hand. Some people around the world don't even have a Bible. You hear the messages and you know you believe it. That's why you're here. I guarantee you 99% of you is probably 150, 200, including the children. There's probably not more than two or three people in here that even doubt what I'm saying. Majority of you, 99% would all say, Pastor, I agree with it. Now the question is, what do you do with it? Oh, Pastor, I can't go be a missionary. I can't go to India. I know that. That's why I'm going. But I can't go to the fire department. I can't work on the beat tonight with Ricky at Chicago PD. I can't go to the car dealership with Juan. Just like you can't go to India, I can't go there. Now what are we going to do? I do my part, you do your part, because God has committed to you the message of reconciliation. And it's good news. And I don't care how many people reject you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Because last time I looked, when we go out to Wicker Park, we go out to the high schools, we're not selling autobiographies of Eddie Berto Govea. We're not selling autobiographies of Adam Nieves. We're not going out there going, hey, kids, would you like to read Joe I. Rossi's autobiography? We're going out there preaching Jesus. You reject me. You reject him. That's okay. I'm shaking the dust off, getting ten more in your place, because I will plunder hell and populate heaven. I've come to be a generation shaker, history maker, and a roof breaker, and bring people to Christ. You've got to determine in your heart, all the way from here to Astrid and Vicente in the back, they will change lives for Jesus. That's what he committed to you. Two more points and we're done. Boldness. As you've noticed, our church ain't like other churches. Amen? Uh, I may have a southern twang every now and then, but I don't come up here and just tell you how cute and cuddly you are and tell you stories about my puppy dog and all these different things. I listened to a pastor preach one time for 25 minutes, never mentioned the Bible. We didn't come here to have a Tony Little motivational pep talk. We came here for Jesus. Look at what Paul said, boldness, to fervently and urgently ask someone to repent. It's the word implore. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I always talk to people because they look at me and they go, you're so passionate. I go, yeah, because you think Jesus is a sissy? Do you think Jesus, hey guys, it's me, Jesus, over here. Hey, Peter, I was just wondering, do you want to go make some disciples with me? That's what I was thinking. Come on, I don't want to offend you, but we can go whenever you're ready. Bring those shoes that I like. Okay, guys. Oh, you guys are mad at me? I'm sorry. I'll do it your way. How do you want me to preach? Come on, Jesus wasn't assisted. He was a carpenter to the age of 30. He took 39 lashes and then carried a railroad tie up to the hill of Gagatha until he fell on his face and somebody had to carry it. He was a man's man. He was out of the son of David, out of the lineage of David, who David himself killed Goliath, cut off his head, lifted it up, and went, ah, attack the Philistines. He's a warrior. Every military, every service person here, every, every man's man that likes to watch those Top Gear type TV shows and tools, and th- that was Jesus. Amen. That was Jesus. A bearded man, maybe even dreadlocks. A man with scars on his hands. A handsome man. And loincloth. Jesus was a man's man. When it says here, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, we're talking to people on behalf of Christ. It's serious. And we implore them. But we make you laugh along the way. That's okay. But we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Christianity is not a suggestion. Some of you here are in jobs and businesses. And sales is a part of what you do. You know, it's a suggestion. Maybe you would like to get life insurance with us. Maybe you would like to have this with you. That's a suggestion. Going to heaven is not a suggestion. You either go to heaven or you're going to hell. Repent of your sins. That's the message. At some point of you loving people, talking to them because of the fear of God, being committed with the message, at some point you're going to have to look them square in the eye and implore them. I'm telling you, you've got to get right with God. 
You can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. Because when I'm long gone, this Bible will remain. Preachers have come and gone, y'all, and it's still here being preached. Amen. Somebody will pick up the baton. Amen. Praise the Lord. Looking for boldness. And lastly, the righteousness of God. Would you stand with me, please? Jesus' good works being given to mankind. You might say, I'm not good enough, Pastor. But you know what? Nobody's good enough. Do you know that Paul said in another part of, of, of this letter, he said, my adequacy does not come from God. I mean, come from myself. It comes from God. If you're looking at me right now and you're going, well, it's easy for you, Pastor Joe. Let me take and tell you where this came from. All that I have, everything you see, if I take it away, you know who I got to give it to? Jesus, because that's where it all came from. If I walk away from Jesus, this all goes with me. I guarantee you, nobody followed me when I was in the world. Ban, would you come, please? Nobody followed me when I was in the world. I'm going to say that again. It's not like I was a gang leader or I was a real cool drug dealer. Nobody followed me. What gave me the ability of leadership was God's gift in me. Paul said the same thing. Paul said, I can't be a leader without God's gift on my life. The righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to ask you this question again in closing today. Did Jesus really become sin? Is that what it says? Did Jesus really take your sin? I want everybody to think about this. If Jesus took your sin, then what does that mean? As the Bible says, adultery, pornography, he took it. Okay, as real as it says that, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now look at the comma. So that in him we might become. So you're not that already. You have to become that. What do you become? The righteousness of God. So that means there's no excuse. I can't say my past is keeping me out of this. No, because Jesus took my past. I can trade it for his righteousness. I can't say my personality is too shy and and I don't know if I can do what's right. No, he took that. I have his righteousness. When we say the scripture, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, do we really mean that? Why do we say that when we don't get a good spot at at, uh, Walmart, a good parking spot, and we have to walk through all the cold and all all the snow, and then we're like, oh, I can do all things in Christ's strength. It's me. Come on, we can make it. Why, no, seriously, why is it I hear people saying that? Oh, i got to take a test. i got to take a test. Oh, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what that scripture is really about? And you look at Philippians chapter 4, that's where it's at. He's talking about being missionaries and giving your all for Jesus. Why is it when it really counts we don't want to put our faith in it? This is where it really counts, guys. When you're standing in front of your friend. You know how I met Nick and Tam? Just play a little louder for me there. When I met Nick and Tammy, do you know where they were? They were at David and Monica's wedding. And I had to go up and share my faith with them. Do you remember that? Yep. Did you love it? Yeah, I did. Show me with your hands how much you loved it. A little bit or a lot? A lot. Amen. I'm just kidding. It's just awkward making it more comfortable, I guess, or more awkward. So I came to him and shared the message. You know what I had to say to myself? Well, here's, here's a weird guy. I don't know him. I've got to start a conversation. Okay, my name's Joe. What's your name? We had to talk. It was awkward. How many know what I mean awkward? I say that word a lot. How many know what I'm talking about awkward? How many are just acrophobias? You just don't like awkward moments at all. Like you just get so embarrassed. And by you being more embarrassed, it gets more and more awkward. That's why I just go with it. So what did I do? I had to reach out to him. Because of that, he's here now. It's Stephanie, right? Your friend Stephanie? Stephanie, can I tell you a story? Let me tell you a little story about cute little Jasmine here. Cute. Let me tell you a little story about her. You don't know this. Let me let you in on this. When we had to switch youth pastor, Stephanie, I had to step in for a minute. When, when I stepped in as the youth pastor, I got all the youth team together, and I said to them, when was the last time you guys brought in friends? And I'm about ready to cry just talking about it right now. And I said, Jasmine, when was the last time you brought a friend? And she said, I haven't brought a friend. How many months? Eight months? Six months? A long time. And I said, Jasmine, I don't care what it takes. I want you to go out and I want you to get a friend. 
And she came back one week, and I said, did you do it? What? Do what? She totally forgot. Then I lost my temper, had to repent, and then after that, we talked again. Everybody in the youth meeting, if you, believe I'm, if you know I'm telling the truth, say amen. They all heard it. Am I telling the truth, Lily? Come on. And you know what? She came back. She didn't do it. She came back. She didn't do it. And then one day, at the end of the service, she said, I brought my friend Stephanie. If you are related or know Stephanie in some way, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Give them all a hand clap. Come on. That's what it takes. Come on. That's what it takes. Yeah, it's hard at first. You want to put yourself in Jasmine's shoes, 17 years old, a senior. Everybody's looking at her. You feel weird as it is as a teenager. You know what? She went out and she said, I'll make a difference. Fills up a whole row now because young people got touched because one person said, I'll do it. This is something that we need to live out every day. The fear of the Lord. If you're lacking it, we're going to pray in just a moment. Christ's love, if you need more of it, we're going to pray for it. Sacrifice, if it's hard letting go, we're going to pray you do it. Personal change, if you're still struggling, we're going to pray you get set free. Commitment, if you're one of those people that's hard to commit, we're going to pray that you stick with this. Boldness, if you say, I'm shy, I don't know what words to say, we're going to pray for your boldness. And if you say, I don't know the right things to do, we're going to pray the impartation of righteousness starting right now altar workers come I'm going to begin to pray and then we'll pray for you father we lift up this congregation to you right now we pray father God for a church of missionaries we pray father before we leave out these doors that God we will touch somebody's life right now and Lord start with me start with me Before we leave out these doors, we make a commitment to do whatever it takes. Come on, prayer workers, scoot more down towards this side quickly because we're going to dismiss you in two seconds to pray, not to leave. Give us five minutes of your time before you go because I'm going to pray for missionaries in this house. Every leader up here is somebody who's already made a commitment to Jesus. Maybe you're a young person and you say, I want Jasmine to pray. Jasmine, you come stand in front. Jasmine will pray for you. Father, we pray right now that as we begin to pray, we pray that God will be imparted these things into our lives. That being a missionary will not be a matter of talk, but a matter of action. If that's you, as the band plays, come forward. We're going to pray for everybody who says, I want to be a missionary for Jesus. Jesus.